Hello, everybody, and welcome to Roar Lions Roar. Ooh, I almost really said radio that time. Uh, I'm your host tonight, Nick Pollock, and we're here to do, you know, we're going to try to start this kind of series of midweek uh, podcasts going forward. Um, so we're going to do something a little bit different today, not a game preview or a recap. Um, but I'm joined to do this by my two wonderful co-hosts tonight, starting with Mr. Bill DeFilippo. Bill, how you doing? Hi. <laughs> Thank you. Matt, how you doing? Hello. And that is Matt Filipovitz, for those of you who can't tell by the voice, not Matt DeBear. Or as we refer to them, Good Matt and Bad Matt. This is Good Matt, of Yeah, the evil, the evil Matt is busy tonight, so the evil Matt couldn't join us. Yeah, evil Matt, bad Matt. You know, any range of, any range of you know, negative connotations of Matt. That's the, that's the other Matt. You can find him at PSU Matt 2005. Um, so just, uh, just, just, just real, real quick, uh, if you don't like this podcast, that is also how you get in touch with this Matt, uh, only if you want to be mean. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, yes. Agreed. Yeah. Any with any Matts, if you have any issues with Matts in this podcast, it's PSU Matt two thousand five, and that's it. it. Doesn't even need to be this podcast. Just if you have any issues with any Matt anywhere, <laughs> you can find him at PSU Matt two thousand five. Um, so, like I said, we're here to talk about. You know, we're not going to necessarily talk about just this Penn State Purdue game, but instead, we are going to do the thing that every college football fan does after week one of the college football season. And we are going to talk about whether some things are overreactions or underreactions or they're spot on. So we have a list of, I don't know, maybe maybe 15 different statements here. We probably won't get to all of them, but that's okay. Um, and thank you to those of you who reached out on Twitter to uh, give your possible overreactions after week one. But we're going to go through and we're going to talk about whether these um, statements, opinions about Penn State football after their uh, opening week 35-31 win over Purdue, whether they're you know too much, too literal, or they're right on. Um, but before we do that, please make sure if you are listening to this podcast, I'm assume I'm assuming you're already subscribed. But if you're not, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever else you can find your podcasts, as well as follow and subscribe to us on YouTube, where you can watch this, you can see our faces, and um, also something we're doing now going forward. Before games on Saturdays or Thursdays, whatever games they have, whatever days they happen, we are doing a pregame show. Last week it was fun. We had you know had a couple questions here and there. Bad Matt and I were on it. It was a lot of fun. We'll see who joins me this week. Not sure yet. Haven't planned that far ahead. Um, but let's talk. I think it's me. Is it you? Oh, oh. I think so. We're gonna have a good time. I was. I know. I was added. I, I was added today in the Slack, and I was asked if I could sub in. So I think it's me this week. Excellent. Excellent. I, 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 I will be getting ready for a wedding, so not mm. me. What uh what are the wedding colors? Um I'm wearing a blue suit, so I imagine blue. Nice. Mm. Uh listen. Love a blue suit. Listen, here's the deal. I don't ask questions. I get told, Bill, this is what you gotta wear for the wedding, and then I wear it, and then that's the end of it. There's there's no reason to do anything more than that. As long as I'm not wearing the same thing the bride is wearing, it's not gonna be awkward. Sure. And you know that does happen from time to time for you, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I that, that's, that, that, that's my going to the bar garb. <laughs> so let's just dive on in here because we have a whole bunch of things that I want to talk about here. Um, this first statement, opinion, whatever you want to call it, um, comes to us courtesy of at Pat Usher and at R Kelly fifty five. Pat Usher said they're not going to be good for my health, and R Kelly fifty five said I learned I need to get my liver into mid season form quickly. And the statement that I'm morphing these into, that Bill, I'll, where I'll start with you. I want you to tell me whether it's an overreaction, underreaction, or spot on. This team is going to make a habit of late game drama. I think that is spot on, and. 
it's not necessarily because I think every game is going to go uh, exactly the same as the Purdue game. It's just I don't think the gap between Penn State or and most of the teams that they're going to play this year is so vastly different that we are going to see a team that whoops ass in either direction. Uh, you look just at SP plus uh, Penn State's 21. I, th- I wouldn't be surprised if they're in that 15 to 20 range for much of this season. Rest of their schedule, uh, Ohio State's number three, Michigan is number four, Michigan State number 20, Auburn number 22, Minnesota 28, then a bit of a gap, Maryland 55, then a bit of a gap, you get Rutgers 74, Indiana 79, Northwestern 80, Central Michigan 82, Ohio 104. I think one, two, three, four. Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State, Auburn, Minnesota, uh, all definitely have the potential to be close games. Maryland, uh, you know, we spoke about this uh, on earlier pods, but just the way that they play football and how variance gets involved in their games with how they attack a secondary, they could be a close game. Uh, Rutgers and Indiana, I'm not too worried about those. They're on the road, but sure. Uh, Then, I mean, Northwestern looked good against Nebraska, but so did uh north dakota so whatever uh and then central michigan ohio i'm not too worried about those so i can legitimately see a scenario where one two three four five six of penn state's games are legitimately not exactly like the purdue game but really close really tense really competitive affairs so i think that's spot on matt what do you think yeah i'd have to agree um outside of 2020 there's been what one real blowout that Penn State's been involved in since 2016 and that's mm. the uh the Michigan game of 2016 it's probably the last because Pitt was close 2017 losses were close 18 losses were close 19 losses are close last year all losses I think were by um less than 10 points uh so Franklin teams just don't get blown out like that's just not a thing that happens so listen I think we uh I think if this past week taught us anything you know if you're down uh, less than two scores with under like six and a half minutes to play, you're still in the game. I think that's a fair assessment for this team. Uh, and, and Franklin teams historically just aren't really beyond that point. So I think we're in for a lot more of these games. Um, I hope we get some blowouts in there in between to, for just for all of our sakes, um, like our physical and emotional and mental health sakes. I hope we get some blowouts in there, but these teams don't get blown out. So I have to imagine we're heading for a lot of really close games and Bill just rattled off all those uh, teams that are really close to Penn state in, uh, in the SP plus. And, you know, SP plus isn't a perfect metric, but it's, it's really good at predicting how games are going to shake out and how seasons are going to shake out. So it, I think it's fair to say, we're going to have at least three more games like the one we just saw. Hmm. Fair to say. Yeah. I think that I, I think three is maybe even a conservative Yes, as far as that goes. Um, But I want to roll right into the next opinion here because I think it's directly related to this. Um, And this comes from at DLPPGH. PPGH PPGH is Pittsburgh, right? That's how they usually abbreviate it. Um, Yeah, they said Clifford's issues with inconsistency still remain. So the opinion, again, directly related to this first one, I think, is what Sean Clifford showed us on Thursday night is likely what he'll be all year. Matt, let's start with you on this one. Overreaction, underreaction, spot on. I'm going to say, I don't know how I want to lean with this one. I'm going to say this is an overreaction because I don't think 
he is going to have that bad of a ball again. Like I, that, that interception, like if the pick six doesn't happen, I think we're talking about this Sean Clifford game in such a different context because he really only had one bad throw that I can think of. And that was it. Like everything else, all, a lot of his inclusions were drops. Um, you know, he, the, the pocket was clean. Like, I don't think he'll be hurried at all. Um, so I, I don't think we're going to see that low, low, but I also don't think we're going to see that high, high, like what he did to end the game. Like, I don't think Clifford has even one or, or two more of those kind of drives to win ball games close in him. Like, I just, that's such a rare thing. Like, if you look at all of the, um, like, win probability metrics, like, sure, Penn State was favored throughout a majority of this game, but after that pick six, it tanked. And, you know, just the odds say that that kind of comeback is not going to happen again. Again, I don't think they're going to be in that position very often where a back-breaking pick six is what puts them behind like that. Um but I, I just don't think we're going to see that low, low with that high, high all throughout the season. I think it's going to be steady Eddie all the way. So I guess it kind of evens out in the end, but I think it's never going to feel like it did on Thursday night. If that tracked. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Bill, what do you think? Like, I think we're never going to have the no, 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 no. Yes, 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 yes. Like Sean Clifford drives. Like, I don't think we're going to have those in the same game. I think we're going to have a no, 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 no drive again. I think we're going to have a yes, 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 yes drive again. I don't think we're going to have both in the same game again. I don't know. You might be underestimating Sean Clifford there. Bill, what I, do you think? I was, I was going to say mm-hmm. I disagree. And my uh, sample here is three years of watching Sean Clifford play football, but I will <laughs> say this. Well, I, I, I disagree with the no, no, no. Yes. Yes. Blah, 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 blah. But, mm-hmm. uh, but I think it's a bit, of an underreaction and it's basically because i think penn state's running game is going to be a little bit better and it's something that we have harped on on this pod over the years the season where clifford looked the best as penn state's quarterback was his first year as penn state's starter completed 59 percent of his passes 2654 yards 8.3 yards per completion 23 touchdowns seven interceptions fewest interceptions most touchdowns most yards per attempt that he has had his quarterback rating 148.5 is the highest that he's had as Penn State starter and I think the thing that goes hand in hand in that was that was easily the best running game that he has had since he's taken over as the Penn state starting quarterback between uh, journey Brown going for about seven yards per carry. Noah Kane going for about five yards per carry Devin Ford, about five and a half yards per carry, even Ricky Slade, 4.6 yards per carry. So the reason I will say it's a bit of, I'll say a bit of an, no, I'll say a bit of an overreaction, I think, is I think there is room for him to get better as Penn State's running game gets better, and I think Penn State's running game will get better. I think a lot of the I, – I won't say a lot. I would say a decent amount of the issues that we saw in the running game as I've gone back and watched was that Katron Allen and Nick Singleton are still kind of finding their footing as college running backs. But I think that having that limits the amount of – for lack of a better word, Sean Clifford, that Sean Clifford can put into one of his performances. So I will say that's a, a, a tiny bit of an overreaction. What was that Ricky Slade number? 4.6? Something. Yeah. Is that what it was? Yeah. That's That feels impossible. Like That, that feels Heisman worthy after if, what we've if, seen. If I rem- if and I rem- that's the fourth best dude. If I remember correctly, uh, no, as long as it was only 44. I thought he ripped a... 
long one out of there. Fun fact, uh, that year, Ricky Slade's long was 44 yards. Uh, both Will Levis and Sean Clifford had a longer run than that. Will Levis did? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm excited for the Giants to draft stronger-armed <sighs> Daniel Jones. Um. I'm going to ignore that and not think about it. Um, Rook, I, I agree. I think this is probably a little bit of an overreaction. I think something that I don't think that I personally put enough stock into, you know, like right after the game, like in our Twitter spaces, for example, um, was considering the fact that Clifford missed like eight minutes-ish of game time because he had to poop at the start of the second half. And I think it's fair to say <laughs> that would throw anybody off their, you know, the rhythm. Not that he was in like some incredible rhythm at the end of the first half or anything like that. It, but it, it, it made it made his halftime another fifteen minutes longer or whatever. Right, and not in like the good way where you like you want fifteen minutes of rest. Like no, that's fifteen minutes of toilet on toilet clenching. We don't talk about that anymore though. Um, yeah, none 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 of us wanted to start with talking about that. I'm just. <laughs> pointing this out this is this was your fault because we just touched on the run game there a little bit i'm going to shuffle around our shuffle around our order here just for just a second we're going to go to the question from uh, at i am brad minuski who said and the statement we're going with here is that the run game is still the same as last year and it sounds to me like both of you think this is probably an overreaction but bill let's start with you well, I would say it is an overreaction in that there is more talent in the backfield and there are, for all intents and purposes, if Bryce Effner is taking over starters at starter, I, I mean, it would be starters at every offensive line position because Olaf Fashan, who wasn't the starter last year, landed Tangwall barely started last year. He took over in the last game or two or three. Uh, Juice Scruggs was elsewhere on the line. Uh, Salim Wormley couldn't play last season, and Bryce Effner is new. So, you know, maybe this is just me uh, being ultra optimistic. You know, it by obviously by no means uh, looked great watching them run the ball, but I at least feel as compared to last season, when it just felt like the running game was hopeless, there are reasons why the running game can be better this year. And there are areas where, as the season goes along, guys will get better at their various positions along the offensive line and in the backfield. And if Sean Clifford uh, uses his legs a little bit more on designed run plays, which time will tell if that happens. So I will say that's a bit of an overreaction. Matt, agree? Yeah, I'll agree with that. And, and mostly because the, the dudes are different, like the strength of this unit, or I guess not strength, um, the variety of what the backs in this room can do is different than what it was last year. Mm. Uh, Noah Kane, like you just saw how LSU used him, short yardage situation. For Penn State, they kind of have that again with uh, with Kayvon Lee. Um, I think Katron Allen is faster than we give him credit for. I like what I saw, well, I like what I saw out of him. Uh, and I think Singleton's the game breaker. And with Kazea Holmes redshirting last year and with Devin Ford um, kind of going on the back burner a little bit, I don't think they had the kind of backs who could rip that big play. And I think all it's going to take is one big play for this group to explode. Um, I actually was listening to Franklin on the Jim Rome show right before we went on. Um, and he said there were more lanes than he realized. Um, he said if, if Singleton, obviously if you got to make the plays for us to count it, but he said if Singleton makes one guy miss, there's a 95-yard touchdown on his first drive. 
And I think he'll learn how to hit those holes. I th- again, these are dudes, I think it was Bill, you mentioned it a couple of days ago, that these are dudes who are going from being the best guy on the football field by a wide margin to now being another guy in the football field. So I think they're going to learn how they have to run and how they break a big play. Um, I think that's going to come relatively quickly, and I think it's going to look a lot different than what we saw it look like uh, last year. It's still going to be frustrating a lot. Uh, but again, I made that point on the podcast uh, that came out, I think, yesterday that uh, they didn't have very many tackles behind the line of scrimmage. Uh, and if you gain one yard, that feels a lot better than losing one yard. And I think Penn State's going to gain one yard a lot more often. They'll lose one this year. Yeah, for me, I know, um, I don't remember who wrote the article now, but somebody pointed out that the run game or the run blocking, whatever it was, graded out worse than almost every game from last year, which, I mean, I'm not going to argue the numbers. Like, I, I don't know the specifics of how all of those are calculated. But to me, it was the, it's kind of like what you just said, Matt. It's the difference between the line allowing dudes to be in the backfield on every run snap as compared to like, is this a great run blocking offensive line? No, a great run blocking offensive line gets their first block and has at least two guys moving to the second level to engage with the linebackers. This group is not doing that yet, but they are at least getting some push off the line, which looked a lot different than what we saw last year. Like those, they were moving backwards on almost every snap last year and they didn't do that on Thursday night. Um, again, I don't know how the numbers are, are computed, but it looked different to me. I will read it. Uh, you're referencing something that Audrey Snyder wrote over in the yes. athletic, yes. uh, the offensive line again, had a share of issues of uh, reading directly from Audrey here. According to true media, Penn state averaged 0.65 yards before contact per rush against Purdue. It's season average last year was 1.89, which ranked 70. Sixth, uh, Thursday night's average was a lower number than every 2021 game, but Ohio State. Yeah, I mean, that is really surprising to me because it just didn't, it didn't feel that. I mean, the only time I really specifically remember someone getting hit behind the line of scrimmage was Nick Singleton. And that, that's the only, that's the only time, but. And the cliff sack, which probably tanked some of those numbers a good bit. Sure. Yeah. And the cliff sack. Yeah. Um, but to continue along this thread here, um, this is, this was not submitted by Twitter. This is one that I came up with here and Bill will start with you related to the run game here, especially since we were talking about the 2019 team, which of course had a different offensive line coach. So here's my opinion. This is a make or break year for Phil Troutline overreaction or underreaction. I would say in practice that is probably spot on possibly even an underreaction the reason i would say that i would argue it's an overreaction is one thing that i think happens in sports and it's something that i think happens to the detriment of teams to units uh to players all these sorts of things is you make a bad hire or not even you make a bad hire. You make a hire that doesn't work out for one reason or another, or it's a change in philosophy or a change in this or a change in that. And you give the guy two or three years and then you get rid of him because he's not doing what you wanted and you bring someone else in and that cycle goes and goes and goes. Penn state has quite literally 
with maybe one or two exceptions, had what any of us would call a good offensive line under James Franklin. And I don't think Phil Troutwine is the problem if that has been the case for as long as it has been the case. And if you are going to, because uh, this is his third year, his first year was the pandemic year. His second year was last year with a new offensive coordinator. And now this is year number three. I think you need to give him four or five years. I, I truly believe that unless it is just like a totally toxic situation. And that is going to be my answer to another question that you're going to have in a second, Nick. But I think if you are not giving a guy a chance to come in and put their own stamp on things over a large enough period, and with the way that Penn State has recruited the offensive line under Phil Troutwine and had consistent offensive line issues under James Franklin, whether the offensive line coach has been Herb Hand or Matt Limegrover or Phil Troutwine, I think getting rid of him after third year, particularly when you consider the circumstances of his first year, would be doing this dude a little dirty. Yeah, I I agree. I'll let Matt dive in with his thoughts, though. Yeah, I'm glad Bill I'm, Bill made that point that the line has been bad under Franklin for forever. Um, and, and they've done the reset every three-odd years or so. Lime Grover was 16, 17, 18, 19. Um, he got four years. And let's be honest, the recruiting under Lime Grover was not like it was under Troutwine. Troutwine has Drew Shelton, Landon Tangwall, and now the first five-star offensive lineman of the Franklin era. Uh, Michael Mennett could be considered that, depending on where you look, but it looks like Birchmeyer is going to end up being a, uh, a consensus five-star. And he also got Javen Williams. Like He is building his room the way he wants to build it. So I think to pull the plug now is really damaging to the development of Tangwall, a guy we think is a future Sunday player, Shelton, a guy who projects as one, and if the recruiting services, you know, if you value stars, uh, Birchmeyer and Javen Williams are both projected, you know, potentially, again, this is so far in advance, but those are potential Sunday players. So if you pull the plug now, you're, you know, kind of going back to square one. I'm not saying those guys would decommit or people would leave, but players seem to like Troutwine. Um, Bill, I agree, 2020 kind of gets a mulligan, um, but I think this is a bit of an underreaction. I think it, I think it's gets it's getting warmer. A lot warmer. I think if, if the sack numbers were bad on top of the run game being bad, I think this is an open and shut case. But I think pass blocking looks really good. So you can kind of, you know, hold on being a half unit for a while. Uh, but you have to take that step. Yeah. And if not, you know, in the next couple of weeks, then, you know, by September of 2023 at the absolute latest. And I, I'm going to interject and say two things. One with Lime Grover, his best unit was his last one. His best unit was the one where he got guys in that fit what he wanted to do and he got a chance to develop them. But the other thing that I want to add, and I think this is um, I, I think this is illuminating. You look along Penn State's offensive line and the veterans of that group, Juice Scruggs uh, per 24-7, his primary recruiter was Matt Lime Grover. His secondary recruiter was Joe Moorhead. Bryce Effner, his pri 2018, uh, Juice Scruggs is also 2018. Bryce Effner, primary recruiter was Ricky Ronnie. Secondary recruiter was Matt Limegrover. I've read off three different coaches for those first two guys. Class of 2019, Salim Wormley. Primary recruiter was Phil Galliano. Secondary recruiter was Matt Limegrover. Oh my God. Yeah. And Caden Wallace, primary recruiter, Matt Limegrover. Secondary recruiter, Phil Galliano. 
That is for four different players, four different coaches, with one common thread among all of them. I think, yes, I, I'm a little bit confused as to what has gone on with the development of Caden Wallace. I've been happy with what's happened with the development of Salim Wormley and Juice Scruggs. Uh, obviously, Scruggs comes with the extra asterisk of, uh, you know, he had uh, his car accident, which impacted his playing career. But you look through that and you see just how many different guys have had their fingerprints along the offensive line. How can an offensive line be in a position to succeed when that many different voices, people, inputs? I read off two separate Penn State offensive coordinators in that without mentioning the current Penn State offensive coordinators. So I think... More the one before it. <laughs> no, Moorhead was in there. No, Chiraca. Oh, that's right. Jesus. God, I forgot about that. <laughs> uh, so yeah. So yeah, you look at all that stuff and I don't think firing Phil Troutwine is going to give you any answers along the offensive line. So to that extent, I say it's an overreaction. Having said that, if for whatever reason, the run game is just bunk this year, just total garbage this year. Yeah. I think that he's going to be one of the guys who has to, uh, has to answer for that. I'm glad you brought up, you both brought up the point of just that, of all perhaps of all the position coaches on a team offensive line coach i mean i agree in my opinion as well is the one that you should unless it really really is a disaster is the one that you just need patience with because i think way too many people um, just way too many fans in general have this opinion that well, it's offensive line. What do you mean? You just stand there and block like it. It's but it's not that like they're different guys teach different techniques. Different guys teach different schemes altogether. Like it, they. I just think there's a bit of a fundamental misunderstanding of how offensive line play is taught, and not enough people realize that there are significant differences coach to coach. And it's not as simple as one new guy comes in this year and you forget everything that you learned under the last, you know, coach or in some of these guys cases, three coaches, four coaches that they've had at their position or the coordinators for them. Real quick uh, of everybody who started a, a game for Penn state on Thursday. I don't know why I said that's so weird of the five guys who started along Penn state's offensive line, who played the best, the best Fashanu Fashanu or Wormley. Probably. Yeah, I'd say Fashanu. Yeah. I, I might, I might go Wormley, but Fashano, I didn't hear his name, so I'm going to vote Fashano. Yeah, I, I one of the one of the PFF guys said that he did his like thread of under the radar players, and he uh, under the players who had a good week that he noticed on film, and Fashano was the first name that he mentioned. Hmm. And what's the only difference um, between Ola Fashano and everyone else along that offensive line? Uh, was rec- when they were well, I don't want to say when they were recruited, but. My guess is, are you, are you going for something like that? Like, what are you going for here? The only one who wasn't a blue chip prospect and the only one who spent his whole career under Phil Troutwine. Mm. T- well, Tangwall. Uh, oh, you know, shoot. We, that is, yeah. yeah, that's true. That's true, but Olu played the right, best. No, but no, he wasn't the, and, and the three-star. Chase the point. Chase the point. And the three-star. And the three-star. So my point kind of still stands. Um, but he was the only one to have his whole career be a not blue chip prospect so that ball of clay... Um, and the only one to be coached his whole career by Phil Troutwine. So I think I think that's kind of the difference. Um, so I, I think that says a lot about where Troutwine is. Like, that's his guy. Like, that is the not the guy who came in expecting to play. Olu was the guy who the staff said, here is a ball of clay. Make him into a Division One caliber, Big Ten caliber offensive lineman. Like, Tengwall was going to be that no matter where he went. He was going to be that early. For Fashanu, it was always going to take development. So I'm willing to give Troutwine 
maybe that extra year of grace um, because he's proven that with a guy like Fashanu. Uh, but again, if the job's not getting done in 2023, uh, we have to have this conversation again. You know, when I think about how um, Phil Tratwine has done such a great job of developing Olu Fashanu into a starting caliber left tackle, it often leads me to think about, you know, the development process that Homefield goes through to create their beautiful t-shirts. How's that for a transition? I want, I thought, I thought you were going with something with the Seahawks and I was going to scream. Um, you've heard us talk about Homefield before on the podcast. Um, wonderful new sponsor of ours. They, you know, if you don't have a Homefield shirt by now, first of all, what are you doing? Um, if you have never ordered from there before, please go on there right now. Use the code Roar Lions or all caps, all one words for 15% off your first order, but Homefield apparel, Penn State, you know, we are the big new Saturday champions of home field apparel for all time for a reason. It's because they made a fantastic line of Penn State shirts. They did a great job going back through the archives of Penn State history to find amazing designs that you will not find anywhere else, not even back in the heyday of the Roar Lions Roar Apparel store. They just make great stuff. You know, it evokes... It evokes, you know, the past. It evokes. It's really just awesome designs that you would not find elsewhere. It's the kind of stuff that Penn State themselves will never make. It's the kind of stuff you won't find at the Family Clothesline or McClanahan's. It's just, it's worth going and at least checking out, finding something great for yourself. Awesome material. They're not going to shrink in the wash. They're not that 100% cotton, gilded tee. You can buy them with confidence, knowing that they will look good and they will feel good. So once again, if you have not ordered from Homefield already, Take advantage of this one-time offer and use the code ROARLIONSROAR, all caps, all one word, at checkout for 15% off of your first order. They are great friends to Roar Lions Roar. They make great stuff. Go show them some love. Now, let's go back. This is one of my favorite um, suggestions, opinions that we got from uh, the artist formerly known as Real Pen Live Comments, and that is Shop Robinson is a dude. Bill. This feels, to me, it feels either spot on or an underreaction. He balled out. You're, you're, you're asking me if the five-star who uh, was he five stars? played, he was uh, by 24-7 sports, yes, by the composite, he was the number 68 player in his class. So you're asking me if that guy, uh, the guy who, uh, 6'4", 250 edge rusher who was playing without, who's playing with his hand in the dirt for the first time on a brand new team with brand new teammates, all of whom either did not play or had their season cut short last year uh, and did not look out of place at all. You're asking me if that guy's a dude? Um, yeah, he's he's a dude. Uh, that This is an underreaction. I think that one thing that I, I, I think I said it on the pod, uh, the recap pod, or I've definitely said it uh, while talking about this Penn State team to friends. I am 110% convinced that when we think of where every unit is now in two months, when it's November 6th and uh, we're talking about this Penn State team, uh, yeah, that's whoever they play after Ohio State, that's that Sunday recap pod. I will wager that we are going to be on here, you know, uh, talking to one another in Slack, talking to our friends uh, who aren't Penn State fans and saying, boy, that defensive line has come along in a big way and Chop Robinson's probably – I would go as far as to say he might end up being the biggest reason why. I'm very, very high on this guy. So I will say that is uh, that is spot on. So, Matt, assuming that you agree, um, I'm just going to flip this a little bit and just kind of turn this into a question for you. Are you surprised that it seems like he's 
it seems like he's pretty ready to flourish right now. Are you surprised that it happened this quickly? No, uh, he saw the field in Big Ten action last year. Like this isn't this isn't a true freshman. Like th- this dude's been through the ringer of the Big Ten and the Big Ten East. Um, I I am kind of surprised that he looks as not as big and how do I want to word this for a guy who didn't have his hand in the dirt. He looks surprisingly comfortable going up against big offensive tackles one-on-one. Mm. And I didn't expect that. And, and the really interesting part about chop is, you know, he's, what do you think? Seven months really into embracing this new role. Whenever the transfer formally took place and you know, his reps and he's a dude who's not even draft eligible yet. Like he is so young and still so new. So like, I, I really think we're just scratching the surface of what Chop Robinson can be. Um, in terms of if I'm surprised, I'd say I'm not surprised he's dominant or looking to be a dominant player quickly. I am surprised at what he is very good at already. Like I thought he would be good, but I thought he'd be like more of a speed rush guy. But that bull rush he had to end the game was one of the more impressive feats I've seen um, from a young defensive lineman in a long time. So you know, great job to the strength staff and to John Scott Jr. for getting him ready to go. That was that was a hell of a play. And even obviously that's the one that stands out because that's the one that the game ended on, right? But that wasn't his only bull rush of the night either. Like he consistently no, was working to get through, not around, through offensive linemen. Mm-hmm. And it was working. Like I think if that game isn't happening against Aiden O'Connell and against a team that gets the ball out as quickly as Purdue does. Chop might have had three sacks. Like he was in there. People are gonna know. People are gonna know Chop's name before the end of the month. Yeah. He, uh, national people are gonna know who Chop Robinson is by the end of the month. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm gonna jump over here to this question from at YNWA Bell, who said the secondary is looking strong. So I'm gonna toss this opinion out here for you, Matt. This is the best secondary James Franklin has had. I'm gonna go yes. Um. I mean, the competition is the 2016 or 2017 team. 16 would have had Marcus Allen, um, Grant Haley, Christian Campbell, Amani O, John Reed. Because um, John Reed missed 17. Yeah, John Reed missed 17. Um, I think Troy Apke would have been in there too. Like there's dudes who played in the NFL and dudes who were drafted on that one. I think this group is better. Porter's draftable. Um, Brown's draftable. Uh, the younger guys are on pace to play like draftable prospects. Um, and in 16 and 17, they played behind a defensive front that got 40 sacks. Um, what we saw on Thursday night was a team not being able to get home, not speeding O'Connell up, and they still played a really solid game. Uh, I think that's rare. I think that's rare for a college secondary to be able to make plays like that without a college quarterback um, having things sped up a lot for him. So I, I think that's a that's a very on target reaction that th- this is the best secondary James Franklin's ever had bill with only one game in the books. Do you agree? No, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say overreaction and basically Ooh. say, uh, and it's, it's not because I don't think this one is spectacular. It's just, I still think they have more to prove compared to the one of guys that like are what, well, like it's a bunch of guys who made it to the NFL. Some cases are still in the NFL. Like the two best plays, the two biggest plays of my Penn State fandom were made by members of the secondary. Um, one one was tackling a running back, one was blocking a kick, but like the general sentiment still applies. We're just like when that unit needed 
to do something special and Brandon Bell didn't hurt his wrist returning an interception and therefore Penn State lost uh, its most important player on that defense, uh, that group always delivered. So I will say 2016, uh, 2016, 2017, whatever it was. Uh, and again, I, that is abs- in no way a knock to this one. I just want to see more out of this one uh, before I'm willing to say that. So to kind of zoom out here back to a back to a full team look, I want to look at this opinion from at William Tiberius. This one's really interesting to me. And Bill, we'll start with you. His opinion that we will decide whether it's an overreaction or underreaction or spot on is that Penn State has already exceeded expectations. Now you can kind of you know, define that how you want. Obviously, we, we're we not talking full season because the full season hasn't happened yet, right? Like, we can't talk about they exceeded our expectation of 10 and 2 or whatever it is. But, well, actually, I won't qualify it anymore. I'll just I'll just let you go here. We have already exceeded expectations. Um, I would say that's an overreaction because the expectation for this Penn State team is that they have the talent to, you know, maybe not, maybe it's finished third in the Big Ten West. I have Big Ten East, apologies. They finished third in the Big Ten West, that's a problem. Uh, but maybe it's finished third in the Big Ten East, maybe even push for second, depending on what this Michigan team is. And I don't think we saw anything um, to indicate that they can exceed expectations by finishing second by winning the big 10 East or by, you know, anything that makes us go, Oh no, this season is going to be a catastrophe. They're finishing below Indiana. So I like, I, I think that's a bit of a stretch. I will say that is an overreaction, uh, but I'd like it if they could, like I, I, I thought they were, I thought they were going to win a close game against Purdue and they did end up winning a close game against Purdue. So um you know, to that extent, maybe this is spot on. I don't Matt, agree? Uh, I think it's an overreaction because what, what was the win total set at? Eight and a half. Um, that's I think so. More yeah. than eight. That's more than eight. I mean, I think Ohio State, Michigan, a lot of us are looking at as losses. And then you just got to lose, you know, one more. Auburn, Michigan State, uh, Minnesota, maybe. Um I think this program so far is met expectations just nationally. Like if you look at what people in the desert thought, they thought they would win this game. Penn State was favored. Um, so I, I, I don't think we can say that they've exceeded expectations, you know, just yet. I think you could say individuals have, but, you know, the team as a whole, they were supposed to win this game. Um, you know, in the vacuum of they were the favorite in the game and in the, uh, if you zoom out a bit, in the fact that their win total was over eight. Um, and they needed to win this game to get over eight. I think that's fair to say. So I don't think it's it's overperforming just yet. Uh, talk to me after Auburn. And, and then yeah, from there. I, I was uh, one thing I regret not saying is this is this is a question to ask after the Auburn game <laughs> or this. You know what? This might even be a question to ask after uh, looking at their schedule, maybe after playing Northwestern and maybe after we get a little bit. Uh, we start to get into Big Ten play after they play Michigan. Like I, there are so many other games after which I think this is a more uh, pertinent question. Uh, that you know, I, I, I'm not too far uh, into believing they've greatly exceeded or greatly underperformed expectations after the Purdue game. 
The great news is that the bye week falls Northwestern, so we could definitely do this again right after that and bring up this same conversation again. It's um, possible. So I want to... I thought about going up to Northwestern's campus and just bringing my microphone and like recording this on a bench, just <laughs> on campus. I don't know what I would gain from it. I don't know. I, it's a private school. Maybe they'd kick me off campus, but I thought about it. Maybe I'll do it. I mean, if it went really well, then we might just have to start sending you to all the Big Ten campuses to record podcasts. So, How much money do Listen. you think we have? <laughs> <laughs> Promo code Roar Lions Roar. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well done. Well done. So thank you. I'm a pro speaking about speaking about, you know, money. Let's talk about that money punting that we saw from Barney and more at Lockhaven Eagle. Wow. <laughs> at Lockhaven Eagle has the opinion that punting will be a strength. If we look at the game from this past week, not weekend, um, Barney Moore averaged 46.9 yards per punt on his eight punts, had three downed inside the 20 and had a long of 52 yards. He looks pretty good. Matt, overreaction, underreaction, spot on. I'm going to go, I'm going to go overreaction. I will say, hmm. um, not yet. Like I need to see more. Like this is a dude who's punted one game at the FBS level um against a purdue team that never really like sent the house after him like they did not try to put a lot of pressure on i know he's a sixth year guy but he's only really punted one season prior to this at colgate um so i think it's really good i think it can be really good i think it will be really good but i i can't i can't crown it elite just yet i need to see a little bit more um and also do we count uh coverage as part of like an elite punting game because the coverage was Overall, fine, like pretty good, but you had that mistake. Um, so if you factor that in there, like that's something you have to work out, and that's just another data point. So I'm going to say it's so far overreaction, but on track to be a proper reaction. I, d- I do think the coverage team is part of it. We're talking about punting, right? You know, kicking mm-hmm. the ball yep. is is 80% of the equation, but that last 20% does count. Um, I'm curious, does, does the fact that they did it against Charlie Jones, does that... Did he field any? Like, did he? Was the coverage that bad to where like he had the chance to field any and be a realistic threat? I I don't think that was the case. Like, um, there, there was like mental... one or one or two where he fielded it and like started to move, but the coverage team got down there. And I well. think there was one where he called a fair catch and probably shouldn't have, but maybe he was a little spooked by the play to that point. Yeah, that's still part of it. But again, you know, you had a perfect punt down on the one and for some reason you batted into the end zone and gave a dangerous offense free 25 yards or 20 yards, whatever it is. Daquan's Um, only mistake. I know he was awesome outside of that, man. Um, But yeah, I mean, on track to be a good, uh, an accurate take, but just too early for me to crown it just yet. Now that I've mentioned Daquan, Matt, you're on notice. You have about 15 minutes or so to mention Hakeem Beeman. Um, Bill, what do you think? Punting will be a strength over under spot on. Uh, You know, I'll, I'll say that spot on. I think, uh, Amor had a really good game 2019 like 2019 he was a second team all Patriot League it's not like he's a guy who uh, had never punted and never had any success punting um, during his tenure uh, he averaged 42.1 yards per punt uh, for the team that year uh, on, on on Thursday night he averaged 46.9 so 
he had a really good night. I think uh, I, like we mentioned, it at no point did Jones look like he was going to do anything. He tried to return one punt and he got zero yards for it. So I think the emphasis that we have seen Penn State place on special teams over the years, both as a, uh, you know, both as it's part of the game, but also we're putting guys out there who are important players for us. We're putting a guy like, you know, maybe it is a Daquan Hardy on the punt team or the kickoff team, and we want them to get on the field and use their athletic gifts, their knowledge of football, whatever, to um, to stop the other team from getting a good return. And I think that they will just have a really good punting team. So I will say that is spot on. I think James Franklin also de- deserves a little bit of credit as far as the special teams goes because, and to be fair, I don't really know how deeply other other teams, you know, I don't know what their other coaching lineups are, but James Franklin like has shown that he will oust a special teams coach if they're not getting the job done. He's had to do it at least a couple times, I think. Um, so I think that's just, you know, I think that's a credit to him that he, I think that's something he doesn't get credit for um, is treating that truly as a a big slice of the a slice of the pie when it comes to the larger football game um so i do think he deserves some credit there so i mean the biggest play of his career came on special teams right yeah um so the last two last two opinions here that we're going to go through and then we'll then we'll get out of here and start prepping for our ohio preview pod revenge game baby (laughs) Bill O'Brien will be watching. You were both. Somewhere. You were both at this game, correct? Oh yeah, the 2012 one. Oh yeah, yeah. This was. Um, was this was the- this game? This this game was famous for one thing and one thing only, and it was because Gerald Hodges returned a punt. What didn't they or was also- put back there to return a punt? Give me, give me a second. We know if up, he's team captain. Up, is, is, he the, is he the guest? Is he the uh, mean, Letterman captain? He should. Week? He, he should be for every game. Uh, Gerald Hodges, uh, two punt returns, negative one yard. He also returned a kickoff for 12 yards. Wasn't this also the game where they threw that pass over the middle that deflected off the one receiver's hands and went like 20 yards back where there was another receiver waiting in the end zone? Yeah, it was A-Rob. No, no, no. Ohio did it. Oh, no. That sounds like a thing that would have happened to that Penn State Mm -hmm. team. Sure. Yeah. I'm going to have to look that up after this. I think that happened, though. Um, All right, Bill. Opinion that I made up here. Not that I necessarily agree or disagree. Just... Good talking point. This is a make or break year for offensive coordinator Mike Yersich. Uh, you know, I I kind of touched on this with uh, what with what happened with Troutline, you know, and I think it's a very similar thing. With the obvious ginormous caveat of, uh, let's say the offense doesn't have an especially great year. Do you want to fire the offensive coordinator that brought Drew Auer to Penn State? Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to fire the offensive coordinator that you fired the last guy for after a year to bring this guy on board? And again, like I'm not going to go through everything I just said with Troutline. I think a lot of the stuff applies here with Yurcich, but I will say that is an overreaction. But with depending on how the season goes. If some if the offense struggles, and again we're we're having this conversation after Penn State's offense put up 35 points and jet went for 400 yards on the road in its Big Ten opener, important to mention. But same thing, uh, 
I, I think it's an overreaction that depending on how the season goes, it might end up being a thing that is spot on or even an underreaction. Matt? Um, overreaction. I, like I'm echo pretty much everything Bill just said. Like you're not getting rid of the guy who you fired the guy for after a year who brought in the guy who's supposed to lead your program to the next level, like the quarterback. Um, he's he's going to get time. Like the whole narrative has been Sean Clifford has control of this offense because he gets multiple years with the same offensive coordinator. You, Sean Clifford's gone after this year. Do you want Drew Aller to start his career or Christian Veyer or Bo Prabula to go start their career in the same boat? No. Um, unless they go four and eight or even like – five and maybe even three and nines enough to save his job. Um, Mike Yersich is still here in 2023. Uh, and that's a good thing. I, I still think he's a really good offensive coordinator. Like I still think he has it in like what got Mason Rudolph drafted. Um, and now to be the Steelers third string quarterback, according to the depth chart uh, is, is still in Mike Yersich. Like he knows how to call an offense. I know that that's in there. I've seen it work. It worked at, Oklahoma State. It worked when he was passing game coordinator for a really dangerous Ohio State attack. It worked at Texas with a quarterback in Sam Ellinger who was different than anything he had at those previous two institutions. Like, I'm a firm believer in Yursich. I think he's gonna find a way to get it done. Um, again, it it just it. I think it, this is more on Phil Troutwine at this point than it is on Mike Yursich because his guys need to create the push. So Yursich has his whole playbook at his disposal. So I think no matter what, uh, MY is not going anywhere anytime and, soon. And one thing I want to mention, uh, if you haven't gotten a chance to check it out, uh, the fine folks over at For the Bloggy uh, did its post-game film study about Penn State's final drive and how Yursich really did an excellent job calling plays on that drive and putting a lot of trust mm-hmm. in Sean Clifford to be able to know and understand what he had to do. And like, I, I, I will highly recommend everyone goes and checks that out because I do think that was a, that was a good glimpse of what this offense uh, when it is humming could look like. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. Um, kind of along those lines, because whether if the offense doesn't get humming to that point, then this is going to be a very easy answer. But the last opinion we're going to deal with here, this team is not ready to challenge Ohio State. Matt, is that an overreaction, underreaction, or is that just correct? That's correct. They're not ready. Um, But also, with that being said, Ohio State didn't look ready to go into a happy valley uh, this past weekend. Um, But I'm going to bet on Ohio State getting their things fixed quicker uh, than I think Penn State will, just based on the fact that what Ohio State was bad at in 2021, it looks like they mostly fixed in 2022. What Penn State was bad at in 2021, they were still bad at in 2022. Um, I don't think they're there yet. Yet. But thankfully, we have, you know, seven games in between now and then to figure it out. Um, but they're not they're not there yet. Bill? Yeah, no, they're they're not ready to challenge Ohio, especially because it looks like Ohio State figured out how to uh like win. defense yeah up front on defense and also uh an issue that ohio state has had in years past was when the passing game doesn't get going they go all right you know what all all cj needs to do or all jt or all justin needs to do is see if you get caught and then they're going to get in a bit of a hot streak um that uh they ran the ball <laughs> 
when that happened this past week and Notre Dame. And I think Notre Dame is going to be a very good football team. I was really impressed with their performance, but offensively Notre Dame wasn't able to get anything going, which, you know, that makes, that makes some sense. They had a guy, they had a young guy walking into that environment. He was never going to be particularly great. And uh, Ohio state's defense looked very good. So I'm going to say not ready, but I also don't like necessarily think that's an indictment on this Penn state team. I just think, Ohio State's going to be really good. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. Um, I think that's I think that's good for today. I think that's been enough. You know, trying to draw conclusions after week one. I know it's college football, and we do love to do that. But I think it's always a good thing to remind not only Penn State fans but college football fans all over that there's only so much you can learn from week one, and usually that so much ends up being very little, if anything at all. Um, so with that, I think we are going to go ahead and get out of here. If you do not subscribe to the podcast already, please make sure you do so on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Overcast, all those places. Um, and if you could take the time to do so, we would just love it if you could leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And if you have any questions you'd like answered on the pod, one thing you can do is look out on the Twitter for when we ask for questions or two. If you leave one with a five-star comment on Apple Podcasts, we'll happily answer it on the very next podcast after we see it. Make sure you are also subscribed to the YouTube channel. Make sure you check out the pregame show this week ahead of Ohio. We'll probably we'll do it like it'll end about half an hour before the game starts. Um, so I will unfortunately have to get up here early on the West Coast That's early to do for that. You, Nick. Yeah, that'll that won't be great, but I'm up anyway because I. You know, around like seven o'clock, I usually wake up and flip college game day on. So not a big deal. Um, and then after the game, make sure you also hop on Twitter and check out. Um, make sure you're following R- R- at RLR blog on Twitter and you can join us in our Twitter space where we kind of do whatever we feel like at that point. Everyone can ask questions. It gets to be a little chaotic, but it's a lot of fun. Um, yeah. So make sure you're following us all those places. Make sure you visit homefieldapparel.com. I think that's your URL. Use the code RoarLines, Roar All Caps, all one word, for 15% off your very first order. And that is going to do it for us here tonight at Roar Lines Roar. For myself, Nick Pollock, for my co-host, Bill DeFilippo, and Matt Filipovitz. Wow, those are really tough to say back-to-back. I don't think I've ever <laughs> done that before. I can't believe you, you handled that well. I don't think I've ever actually had to do that. As, as I was saying your name, Matt, I was like, oh boy, did I mix up the emphasis is there that's pretty good um not 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 that hard but some of us are just built different (laughs) for all three (laughs) of us thanks for listening go state